Hey, what's up, guys? Bill Brower here with FMBA Nation. Today, I wanted to talk to you and tell you a little bit about Anchor. It is the podcast platform that we use here for FMBA Nation, and it is probably the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First of all, it's free. Secondly, there's tons of creation tools that you can use to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will also help you with the distribution of your podcast so it can be heard on different types of platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything that you need to make a podcast and more all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to www.anchor.fm to get started. What's up, guys? This is Bill Brower with FMBA Nation coming to you from the remote podcast studio here. I've, the, uh, I've got the honor and privilege to be joined by Paul Caliendo from Gill and Chamas uh, Law Firm. Paul specializes in workers' compensation, um, and we, we felt that this is a very important topic, especially right now, given the current COVID-19 situation, to talk about. Um, Paul, thanks for joining me for a couple minutes to talk about this today. Um, give us a little background about yourself first and foremost, and then um, tell us a little bit about workers' compensation. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me. Um, uh, I, I'm a partner in the firm, uh, like you said, Gillen Shamus. Uh, I've been practicing for about uh, 23 years. Uh, half my practice is personal injury. I'm a certified civil trial attorney, so I try a lot of personal injury cases. But I'd say probably the last 20 so years, half my practice is, is devoted to workers' compensation. I'd say probably the last 17 years, 98% to 99% of my workers' comp practice is devoted entirely to first responders, uh, which is uh, fire, um, law enforcement, and corrections. Um, I, I've said it before, it's an honor for me to, to represent you guys in your time here in need. Thank you. And, and for those that you don't, that don't know uh, Paul, Paul is a, a, a huge FMBA supporter. Um, he's at every convention. He does sponsor a lot of our events, a lot of our locals, and uh, you guys do everything that you can to help us out, which uh, we truly appreciate your support and, um, and what you guys do for our members. So we appreciate that. That's my pleasure, my pleasure. Um, and as you can imagine, um, I've been getting a lot of questions uh, lately with respect to workers' comp. And, um, but just, you know, just in general, um, workers' compensation is a it's a set of laws uh, established in the state of New Jersey, like many other states. Um, and the, the law requires that employers have workers' compensation coverage. Mm -hmm. So what that means is the employer has to pay for this coverage or require to pay for this coverage. So you either have um, the town or the department either hires a workers' comp insurance company to provide uh, insurance coverage for workers' comp benefits, or they're required to have sufficient funds and budgeted sufficient funds for workers' compensation claims that are paid um, paid from the budget, uh, and that's you know considered the town is self-insured. Mm -hmm. um, but the law requires that these workers' comp benefits be available for employers um, should they get hurt uh, on the job. Gotcha. What what exactly? Um, now what, there's. Go ahead. I was going to say what what exactly is covered under uh, workers' compensation? So that's a great question. So uh, workers' compensation, um, 
there's two ways it triggers the benefits in general. There's two ways. There's a defined event. Um, you get injured on the job on a specific incident that occurs. You lift something heavy and you hurt your back. You also can have what's called occupational exposure case, uh, which is um, as a result of, of exposure to your job that's unique, unique to your job, you either suffer a condition like a back injury that develops over time, or you're exposed to, uh, for example, COVID, um, or you're exposed to certain uh, conditions where you develop a pulmonary issues. So there's a defined event which triggers workers' comp benefits, and then there's what's called occupational exposure claims. Either way, uh, you have various benefits. You're entitled to receive medical coverage. In other words, medical benefits. You see doctors. Nothing should come out of your pocket. As long as those medical doctors are authorized, the only caveat is the employer is required to, or has the right to control who you go to and who you see to. Mm -hmm. But essentially all medical coverage is, is paid. Emergency hospital visits, there shouldn't be any copay or deductible out of the, the member's, member's pocket. Um, you're entitled to, while the workers' comp doctor has you out, you're entitled to, at the very least, 70% of your gross base wage. Um, and depending on the particular collective bargaining agreement that a department has or a town has with its, its employees, those benefits can actually be full pay for a certain period of time. And then once that period of time ends, um, you, you go back to 70% of your gross base wage. In so addition... Go ahead, I'm sorry. I apologize. So the 70% of the gross base wage, that is in, a, is it, is in addition to what you're currently making? like, or, or is that what you're entitled to while you're injured and, and out of work? Well, when you're, when you're out of work, mm -hmm. well, what you're getting is going to be 70% of your gross base wage, and that's it. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the, the positive or the benefit is at least you're getting some compensation while you're out of work. The negative is it's not based off of your overtime or what you normally would get. The downside is in fact, it's 70% of your gross base wage. The only positive is that's, that's tax free. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I didn't mean to cut you off. Another, there before. Another, just another, another question. That's okay. The, the other question, too, I get a lot from members is that a lot of people have side jobs. Mm -hmm. um, and those side jobs um, could be affected because if you're out on workers' comp, you're not, you're not allowed to be doing the things that have put you out of work. So you can't do some of the physical aspects of the job. So you could lose income from your side job. But you do have the alternative to keep that job running but you just can't do the physical parts of that job. Gotcha. So there's no, there's no benefits or coverage for additional loss of income from a supplemental income source, like a second part-time job or something like that. There's no additional benefits outside of the 70% gross base wage that you're getting from the workers' comp uh, insurance. The only other benefit would be from a, say, for example, an AFLAC. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of members will have AFLAC, which will be, you know, you know, income substitution. Um, so AFLAC is separate and aside from what you would get from the workers' comp carrier. So it's a private insurance policy, which could cover your, for your additional lost wages based on that particular contract that the member has. So a lot of times um, AFLAC is important um, because a lot of departments, fire and police, don't pay into <clears throat> state temporary disability benefits. 
So what that means is sometimes workers' comp will fight the claim and they'll say it's not compensable. The fireman uh, is out of work, is not getting income because workers' comp's not paying it. They're not getting income. And they're also not eligible for state temporary disability benefits because they don't pay into the system. Mm-hmm. So it's very important. I always tell you know my clients, you know, look into AFLAC, the costs associated with the, and the benefits. Mm-hmm. Right. What exactly, what's not covered under workers' compensation? So... So in addition to your medical benefits and your temporary di- disability benefits, basically wage replacement, you're also entitled to what's called a permanency award. Mm-hmm. And the permanency award is based on whatever residual functional losses are determined from the injury or condition. And it's based off of a worker's comp chart. So it's compensation for your residuals relative to the injury. So if you hurt your knee and you have residuals, there's actually a percentage that would be assigned to that loss. And according to the workers' comp chart, the, the member would be, or the, the, the employee would be paid based on that percentage, a certain amount of money. Um, they also have the right to reopen the workers' comp case. So if your knee condition uh, gets progressively worse, unrelated to something new happening, and it's from a workers' comp case, you can actually reopen the workers' comp case, ask the workers' comp court to allow you to go back for medical treatment indirectly through your employer, and then get, get additional permanency money should your condition get progressively worse. And you, you have the ability to reopen the case within two years of the last day you receive some sort of compensation on your claim to keep an eye on your case and reopen it. What's generally what's not covered uh, is, is injuries that aren't related to your job. Um, and for example, if you have a pre-existing knee condition and you hurt yourself at work, the workers' comp carrier, or obviously the administrator of the claim, they're going to try to minimize your claim because that's less money to the you know that they have to pay out. Mm-hmm. So they'll try to as- assign a certain percentage for the pre-existing condition, which would lower your compensation. Um, but in general, um, wage replacement, medical coverage, permanency, and the right to reopen is the rates that you have under the workers' comp statute. So the permanency um, that is in addition to your gross base wage that you are getting paid while you're out of work on injury. It's, it's a, it's an additional lump sum payment. Is that, is that how I gather that? So how, so how the permanency works, and this is one of the questions I always, um, at the end of the case, when we talk about uh, how we're going to resolve the case, settle case, I always go over it with, with, with my client, the way, the way permanency works is at some point in time, you're done treating and or go back to work. Mm-hmm. We have to wait a certain period of time, it's called a 26 week period before we have our client examined by a permanency doctor. So our doctor evaluates our client, provides me with a report and establishes what degree of permanency he feels the injury uh, has caused my client. The department does the same thing with their doctor. So based on those percentages, we negotiate a settlement. And if we can't agree to the settlement, the workers comp judge looks at all the medical records, the reports, and he or she says, look, if I tried this case, this is the value that I think they associate with the case. So with a permanency award, for example, 20% of partial total, there's a specific number that's associated with that percentage. So there's a monetary award. And the monetary award is paid based on the amount of weeks that have accrued since you stopped treating or went, or went back to work, whichever is closer to us in time. Mm-hmm. So when the workers' comp carrier where the town is ready to, to sign off on, on the check for your permanency award, that is in addition to the temporary disability benefits that you receive, and they pay it initially a lump sum, and they add up the amount of weeks that have gone by since you stopped working or went back or, or um, uh, 
stopped treating or went back to work, they add up those amount of weeks, multiply by what's called your workers' compensation rate, which is established on the chart, which I show my clients, and they'll give you a lump sum payment. And then depending on how long the award is for, they'll pay you a monthly benefit until the award is completely paid off. So for example, if your case is worth $20,000 on a permanency award, gross number, Mm-hmm. That particular award will be based paid on a, on a, on a weekly uh, rate. There's a certain weekly rate based on calculations you do on the chart. You'll get a certain lump sum. You add up the amount of weeks that have accrued up until when they're going to sign the check, multiply by that worker's comp rate. The, the client gets that lump sum, and then they're going to monthly check until the entire award is paid off. This is while they're now back at work or they're still out of work on this? While they're back, once they go back to work. So the gotcha. temporary disability benefits stop, mm-hmm. they're back to work. We go through the process to resolve the case, and then they get this once they're back to work. And that award money, that's, that's given to the uh, employee as a, as, as a, I mean, they're allowed to do whatever they want with that money, or does that money go towards something specific like medical, medical coverage or anything like that? No, that's, that's, that monetary award is specifically under the statute mm-hmm. allocated for the residual functional loss of that particular injury. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it's, and it's tax free and they, and you do what you, you wish with it. Gotcha. So what, I mean, what exactly, sh- who, so first of all, the, the employer uh, obviously pays for the workers comp or the insurance company pays for the workers comp benefits, correct? It's not, it's not money that's actually coming out of the townships or, or the municipalities budget. They budget for an insurance plan and then the insurance plan pays the benefits to the employees. God forbid they get, they get injured. So, so there's two ways that, that a town or a department can satisfy the statutory requirements of workers' comp. They either hire an insurance company like Hartford or, or NJM to actually be an insurance company like you would have an insurance company for your home, and the town pays a premium to that insurance company to provide uh, workers' comp coverage. Mm-hmm. So the town would pay a premium every year for the benefit of having the workers' comp insurance company provide coverage. The alternative is that the town, in an effort to save money, arguably, um, they'll have, they'll, they'll become self-insured and they'll budget in their budget a specific line item for workers' comp benefits. And they'll hire an administrative company like Qualinks or DH, mm-hmm. who will they'll hire and pay to administrate the claims. So the idea behind it is if, if you don't need workers' comp insurance all the time, why are you gonna have an insurance premium all the time when you, when you don't have a lot of claims? So the town's idea is to be self-insured, to save money because they're only gonna pay out for those legitimate claims as opposed to paying a premium every year, uh, which you know would cost them more money potentially than just paying out on individual claims. Gotcha. What, what should, an, if an employee is hurt on the job, what exactly should they do and, and how would you go about filing a claim? So um, the first thing that the employer, the employee needs to do is they need to report it to a supervisor. Mm-hmm. So if it's not an obvious claim, an injury, you, you have to make sure. In other words, if it's not something that's open and obvious, somebody really hurts himself and goes in the ambulance and everybody knows. If it's something where if you're getting off the rig and you tweak your back and it, and it bothers you, and you got pain down your leg, you have to report it as soon as possible to, to a supervisor um, or someone above you that you got injured. It's very important because there's certain requirements under the statute that that um, you have to report it within a certain period of time. And the longer you wait 
to report it, the more it can affect your rights to the benefits that we just talked about. Mm -hmm. Secondly, you have to make sure you at least verbally request treatment. If you don't request treatment and you go out on your own and seek medical care and then you realize that condition or that injury that I had or that, that situation I had, I, I think I really did hurt myself on the job and you never request treatment and you go to treat with your own doctors, um, that could potentially affect who's going to cover that benefit because health insurance can say, listen, that was a workers' comp case. We're not going to pay the benefits. And you never reported it or requested for medical treatment. The workers' comp carrier can try to deny coverage. So very important, report it to your, your supervisor. Very important that you request treatment. And then thirdly, very important that you document this in writing succinctly in an instant report. So it's, that, it's there on, on paper and it's reported. What, what about, so what about a situation where you're at work, something similar like what you've just uh, described in terms of getting off the rig, tweaking your back, or it's a minor injury. You know, you shake it off. You don't think anything of it. Um, the next day you start feeling like, oh, hey, something there, you know, is, is really bothering me. I should get it checked out. That's the point in time where you need to report it, get treatment from the township's doctor, make sure everything goes that route instead of going out on your own. And then, and then handling it through that process. Correct. Correct. So you, you, you wake up the next morning and you realize, geez, I really did something the day before mm -hmm. you want to go into work. You want to report it immediately and you want to request treatment. And if you decide that, or if you think, you know, instead of going to the township's doctor, you go to your own doctor, you get treated. Um, but then later realize, Hey, this might be work related and it's not something that I did, you know, last week at the gym or, Maybe it's more than just a pull or whatever the case may be. How, how severely affected are your workers' comp, or work, workers comp rights and or benefits because of that decision? Well, that's a, you know, that raises an issue that ultimately becomes a judge's decision. Mm -hmm. um, the, the longer you wait to report it, the more difficult it's going to be for me, for example, to prove that it's related. If there's gotcha. no medical documentation, and there's no report to your employer, and then you're talking about a significant period of time when you finally do report it, mm -hmm. that's gonna create an issue regarding causation, whether I can prove that it's related to work and exclude other, other potential um, things that may have happened between the time of your incident and the time that you report it. Mm -hmm. So you give the workers' comp um, defense more of an opportunity to defend that particular claim. Um, however, if you do go to your own doctor and you tell your doctor, you know, I, 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 I was at work and I, I feel like I did something, but it wasn't a big deal. And you go on and you treat and it's documented in the notes that you actually did hurt yourself. Um, but you didn't know any better. You didn't know that you should report it to your employer. You didn't think it was a big deal. Um, most cases, workers comp will cover that. The judge would ultimately say, listen, it's documented. It happened. He didn't know because a lot of people don't know what their rights are with sure. respect to what you have to do. Um, and in those cases, it's, it's most likely going to be covered by workers' comp. Um, you just have to be careful because the more treatment you get through your health insurance, if health insurance ultimately determines that this is a workers' comp case, because the health insurance adjusters will, will audit your file and look at your medical records and say, this is a workers' comp case. We shouldn't be paying those benefits. Um, they can turn around and say, we're not going to pay coverage. And then you'd have a difficult time going back to workers' comp because you never reported it to get them covered. So then, you know, the member or the employee could potentially be responsible for some these medical bills. Gotcha. The process of filing a claim, does this, does this differ 
between municipalities, between departments, or is there a pretty much set uh, process in terms of how you file? It's, it's, um, it's pretty uniform. Um, okay. the, the, what happens is once you report it to your employer, your employer has certain obligations. Uh, and the first obligation is your employer is required to fill out what's called the first uh, report of injury. Um, it's a general form that that uh, you'll see the same form, you know, um, in, in pretty much any claim. They're supposed to then fill that out, uh, document what the injury is, what your condition is, what the employer, what, what the employee is saying, and get it out to their administrator or the insurance company. Um, in terms of actually filing the claim petition, that is uniform throughout the state of New Jersey. Um, it's it's you, we file it now electronically, um, and uh, it's really not that much to it. You file electronically, you claim what the injury is, um, and you get the background information in terms of the, you know, the member and address, et cetera. But it's all uniform across the state of New Jersey when you file a claim petition. Gotcha. Um, let's talk a little bit about the situation currently going on right now with COVID-19, because I know there's a lot of guys out there that are being affected by this, both from a personal standpoint and a professional standpoint. Um, are you eligible for workers' comp if you've been quarantined um, due to testing positive or just based on exposure? I know you talked about exposure earlier in terms of the two different types of triggering events that um, allow somebody to file for workers' comp. But in terms of this COVID-19, I think it's a very unique situation. Can you touch on, on how you could be covered by workers' comp for COVID-19 and who could possibly be affected? So there's a there's a couple a couple issues, um, and I and as you can imagine, I've been getting phone calls, um, you know, from from people quarantined, and what do I do? Um, while COVID, this COVID nineteen situation is is is, is new, um, we've never seen anything like this before. Um, there, the the workers comp statute, specifically the occupational exposure statute, um, does provide a remedy for for a first responder who gets COVID. Um, just in general, when you're dealing with an occupational exposure case, um, the question that you ask is, did it arise from, from your employment and was it these, was the disease due to a cause that's, that's characteristic to your job or, or did your job create more of exposure to this particular condition, um, in a material way, basically, uh, in the private sector, the, the employee would have to prove that the exposure to COVID was from the job, essentially. And they, they have to basically, they have the burden of proof to prove that causation. So as you can imagine, it could get difficult proving causation from somebody from the job or did they go to the supermarket and get it. So when you have a private employee like me, it's very difficult because there's no presumption of causality. However, with first responders, I'm sure you heard the 21st Century um, First Responders Protection Act, um, which was passed in July of 2019. That law um, is very favorable to first responders. That creates a presumption of compensability for firemen, first responders, law enforcement. All you really have to establish is a potential to exposure and then establish that the person has the COVID and you're going to be there's going to be uh, compensation will be compensable under the workers comp statute and you'll be provided the benefits that we discussed 
Um, the other thing that's really important is, is that if you, if you have, say you get exposed, you don't know if you have COVID um, and you, you have to self-quarantine and you go through the testing and say you don't have COVID, are you, is that, or is the timeout compensable and is the medical treatment and testing you got compensable? Under the, under the um, occupational exposure statute and the uh, 21st Century First Responders Protection Act, it specifically says the testing and the diagnostic associated with determining whether you have that disease, that's compensable um, and covered. So nothing out of your pocket should, should come out of your pocket. It should be all covered by the workers' comp. Now, there have been some talk about employers not covering, and I haven't seen it, but you'll, if, you, if you pay attention, you see some arguments being made that um, self-quarantine and all that was, was just preventative. You know, it was, it was preventative on part of the employer mm -hmm. saying the employer, stay home, stay home. Um, and they won't pay it if you don't have COVID because they'll say you didn't have any condition related to the work, so why should we pay it? But I, I, my position is that that's contrary to what the statute is, and I don't see a workers' comp judge in the state of New Jersey agreeing with that position. So it should be compensable. Um, the other thing that's going to be interesting to see is too is I have I've had firemen um, contact me and they've they've been forced to have alternative um, lodging, you know, hotel to self quarantine themselves from the family members. Who's going to pay for that? Um, I, it's my position, uh, and and time will tell. It's my position that that's that's cost that's synonymous or or the same as uh, medical uh, um, expenses. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's my intention to fully file a claim on that to get to get the firemen or the, or the um, uh, law enforcement reimbursed for that because part of that quarantine was as a result of the COVID or the potential risk of COVID. In addition to the, the 21st century first responders protection, there's actually a bill uh, that's pending in the legislature um, backed by Sweeney, um, uh, Senate President Sweeney. Um, that actually is trying to make uh, it even easier for uh, first responders by even lowering the standard even more in terms of presumption, where now there's a, there's a, it's a presumption of compensability if you get COVID. And the only way that that can be fought by the employer is if they show clear and convincing evidence that it wasn't related to your job. Hmm. So essentially what that's going to happen, if in fact it goes through, it's going to make COVID-19, it's going to be, it's, it's basically going to be strict liability on the part of the employer if, in fact, someone gets COVID. So um, I don't know if that's actually going to pass, um, but that's actually, you know, in the works right now. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, that's interesting. So, but, you know, um, but my thing, too, is I, I always, if you have COVID, I think that you should file a claim, you know, mm -hmm. and, and we file a claim to make sure medical bills are paid. We file claims, um, and we didn't touch on it, but in terms of the COVID, you're gonna still have a permanency, you could still have a permanency award in a COVID case, because what I'm seeing a lot of guys is they're having pulmonary issues. So um, just like where you get a permanency award where you hurt your knee, if you have any residuals from COVID, pulmonary issues, um, anything, uh, that can be compensable through a permanency award too, as well. In terms of uh, the reporting on this, so, you know, obviously the department has a lot to do with 
telling a member to stay home due to potential exposure. Let's say in the case that you have a member on your engine company or truck company that tests positive. Now you're sent home uh, and told to stay home for the 14 day quarantine period due to your exposure to that individual. And um, you now have the potential of either being positive or negative based on that exposure. The, the, the reporting that we talked about earlier with an injury on the job, is that, is that the same process? I mean, ultimately the, the department's making the decision to send you home. So in the case where you were talking about before, where everybody kind of knows about it, there's obviously knowledge that this individual is being quarantined due to this exposure. How does the employee have to follow up with that in terms of the workers' comp process? So um, what, I'm, what I've been seeing uh, that's been happening um, is, to answer your question, yes. Um, if, if you're sent home, my first request would be of the employer, I'd like to fill out an incident report and document the date that I was exposed. Mm -hmm. So you want to have some sort of incident report documenting the date of exposure. Um, but what I've been seeing is that a lot of the departments are, are accepting this as a workers' compensation claim right from the very beginning. I haven't seen much pushback at all, which, was, which is um, encouraging. Uh, so a lot of times what's gonna, it's what I've been finding is members are getting contacted shortly after their exposure by the workers' comp, you know, administrating company or the insurance company, setting them up for testing, diagnostics, and, and you know, telemedical me, you know, uh, visits with doctors immediately. Um, so it's happening automatically where, the, where they're actually being contacted directly from the workers' comp carrier or the administrator about, about their exposure. Gotcha. Um, kind of not digressing, but, you know, I, I, I to my understanding, and, and I, I've talked to a lot of people about this, um, there's a certain stigma, right, attached to uh, workers' compensation when it comes to, well, is it the right thing to do as the employee? Am I going to get, you know, in trouble for filing a workers' comp claim? Is the township going to be upset with me? Is my administration going to be upset with me? Can you kind of touch on that? Um, stigma a little bit and, you know, tell us in your own words what, um, what people should feel and, and why this is important, why these um, functions and processes are in place for our own protection. You know, the, 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 st the actual statute, workers' comp statute, uh, I always call it the book law, um, they're, you're, they're, you're not, you're, it's strictly prohibited, any kind of re retaliation. Um, and I've been, I've been with you guys and, and talking with various departments and, um, I see a change, um, in the culture, uh, with the departments, um, where people are realizing that this is a, these are rights that are there available, uh, to you to compensate you, to assist you if you get hurt in the course of your employment. Um, so I've been seeing less and less and less of, of um, that type of feeling that you shouldn't pursue a case um, than I had in the past. I think the more educated members become, they realize that if you don't, if you don't protect your rights, uh, it can have ramifications for you um, down the road. Um, you know, I've talked to members who've had injuries, um, never pursued a case, 
never receive compensation. Um, health insurance turns around and says it's not a, it's not a workers comp case. You know, it's it's a workers comp case. We're not going to pay it. And they actually seek reimbursement from the from the individual because it's not work. You know, because it is work related. Um, I've seen guys that actually involuntarily get dismissed from the job after years of workers comp injuries, and they never once filed a claim and never were compensated for the injuries. So. Um, you know, my position to 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 uh, first responders that this is these are rights that are available to you for legitimate claims, and you're not suing the town, you're not bringing a lawsuit against the town, you're making a claim just like you would make a claim against your homeowner's insurance for a loss, you know, water damage, you know, whatever it may be. Um, you're making a claim for benefits that have been set aside for you if you get hurt in the course of your employment. Um, and it's set aside for the legitimate injuries um, and the consequences of those injuries. So, um, like I said, I, I, I think old school, maybe back in the day, um, there may have been that feeling, but I see more and more as people become more educated about workers' comp and the benefits that, that uh, are there for you, um, the more that, uh, a majority of the people that I run into and, and I deal with and departments I talk to uh, understand that this is a benefit for every every employee and it's a benefit that should you know that should be um, uh, utilized uh, when the circumstances dictate yeah I think um, you know we've, we've talked about this in the past and um, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on this podcast was to talk about uh, the workers comp process is for that educational purpose a lot of our members, when we talk about workers' comp in the firehouse, uh, are very uneducated in terms of the process. So I'm glad you were able to shine a little bit of, of uh, expertise and some light on what it is, how it works, how to file, and uh, specifically with regards to the COVID-19, how um, workers' compensation and the process of workers' comp uh, filing, filing a claim and, and coverage and all that stuff is affected. Um, so we really appreciate you know you sitting down and, and giving our members some insight and information on this. Um, is there any way, or, or let me, let me rephrase it. How would somebody get in contact with you or your firm uh, if they feel that they have a possible workers' compensation case? Well, I can give you, um, I can give you my e email address would be, would be the best. Mm -hmm. uh, it's P Caliendo at Gil and or you can give me a call on my, um, although we're working from remotely, uh, you can call me on my office line, 732-510-2310 is my direct line. Gotcha. And for everyone listening, we'll have this information, contact information for Paul in the show notes um, so you can get the information that way. Paul, thanks again for spending a couple minutes uh, with me today on this uh, Cinco de Mayo special. Um, really appreciate the uh, information you're able to give us. And hopefully we have some members that, you know, realize the importance of utilizing these workers' compensation benefits because it is their right, like you said, and, um, you know, they should be compensated if they're, uh, if they're getting hurt on the job or if they have something that's been going on for a while. So uh, thanks again for taking the time and uh, look forward to seeing you again soon. Stay safe out there as well. And Bill, thanks for the opportunity. And like I said, I have a tremendous amount of respect for what you guys do every day. Any way that I can help, um, please uh, contact me. It's my way of saying thank you for all that you guys do. So anyone has any questions or concerns, 
please call me. I'd be more than happy to answer them. Take care. Thanks, Paul. Great. You too. Thank you. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to another great episode of FMBA Nation. And stay tuned for some more great content to come. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also listen on the NJ FMBA YouTube channel, as well as Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and the Google Play Store. And if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of the FMBA Nation podcast, please email us at nation at njfmba.org.